I think a materialist approach to things is very, very consistent with uh, my experience in Christian social justice. I feel like the, more, the deeper I get into anarchist practice, the deeper my faith is getting at the same time. I would hope that you know, securing means of life for all would be something all people of faith would say, oh yes, that's at the basis of what we believe. Those who are most marginalized know the most about the truth, good and the beautiful. To me, it's less that I think building class solidarity is a bad thing, as much as it seems like if you don't attend to things like anti-black racism, um, that's always going to get in the way of building class solidarity, actually. And when you go back, you find that a lot of uh, revolutionary grassroots participatory movements, the, the precursors to what you could call um, the barrio assemblies and these like, you know, grassroots neighborhood organizations, a lot of these were sponsored by the church. What does it mean to say that the Christian tradition is internally contradictory and there are antagonisms there? Um, you're always uh, being faithful to some aspects and betraying other aspects. Welcome to the Magnificast, a podcast about Christianity and leftist politics. I'm Dean Detloff. And I'm Matt Bernico. And this week we're talking to Patty Talbot, a team lead of Global Partnerships for the United Church of Canada. Uh, really excited to talk to Patty about uh, peace in Korea and what's going on uh, in Korea, especially with Christianity on both sides of the DMZ, the demilitarized zone. So lots of really great content. I'm, I'm really happy that we were able to chat with her. Before we do that, though, uh, we usually do a little Patreon plug here, but we're going to take a break from that to tell you about something else. Uh, Matt, do you want to tell us about that? <laughs> something else? Yeah, I would love to. Um, this feels much more natural, and I feel much more confident just saying something else that's not asking people for money. So listen, we all love cool religious people doing interesting political things, and there's nothing more religious or cool than the Kings Bay Plowshare 7. Uh, maybe you haven't heard about these folks, but basically they are, uh, I mean, loosely defined, some Catholic worker type folks who um, broke into a nuclear facility and uh, defaced it in sort of a prophetic way. Um, you should go read more about them if you don't know about them. Uh, you can go to kingsbayplowshare7.org and uh, you can read their whole story and kind of see their uh, releases and stuff like that. Um, the whole action took place several years ago now um, and many of the uh, folks who took part in the action are in prison in one way or another. And they're all really fascinating people that I think have a really uh, unique witness to the world. And uh, not only as Christians, but also just as activists, as anti-nuclear activists. And um, we should probably pay attention to them. So like I said, they are incarcerated right now. And uh, what's cool is that on their website, you can go there and uh, find their sort of address with, with regards to the uh, carceral system. And you can write them a letter. And uh, maybe you should do that. So I just want to throw it out there. Kingsbayplowshare7.org. Um, there's a big button on the front page that says write, write to them. And you can do that. So maybe just drop them a nice letter. And uh, if you're feeling so glad, you can also team up with uh, Abolition Apostles and write other folks letters too. And uh, that would be a nice thing to do. So listen, uh, give us money on Patreon if you want to, but definitely write people in prison a letter. It's a it's a nice thing. Yep, we'll definitely get someone on the show sometime soon. I hope to talk about the Kings Bay Plowshare 7. But in the meantime, uh, they could all, I'm sure, use a, a good word from outside. Uh, OK, let's take it over to Patty.
Welcome to the show, Patty. Uh, lately, we've been having some conversations about solidarity movements and Christianity, and because of the work that you've done with the United Church of Canada in Northeast Asia, uh, especially on the Korean Peninsula and, and a number of other places, we thought that you'd be a, a good person to talk with and kind of get our, our minds in a different part of the globe. We spend most of our time, I think, talking about Latin America, so it'll be helpful to hear a little bit more about your work. Um, before we get into that, could you maybe just tell us a little bit about your work and yourself? Uh, how did you get involved in uh, this kind of work? Well, great. Thank you very much. And it was uh, it's a pleasure to have the invitation from Magnificast and, and to talk with you both. Um, just briefly, I, I serve on the national staff of the United Church of Canada as team leader in its global partnership uh, program. And just to set the, the United Church a little bit in context, it's the, the largest Protestant denomination in Canada and was established actually with an act of union in 1925 when the Methodist Church, the Congregationalist Church, church and a good part of the, the Presbyterian Church um, joined together. So a little, not quite 100 years ago, but close to it, uh, they created this, this united being that uh, has, has uh, joined, has had some other joiners along the way. And today it has about 2,700, 2,800 congregations from, from C to C to C and uh, is involved in a number of uh, different kinds of ministries, outreach, community, uh, and, and others here, here in Canada. I, I lead the Global Partnerships team. And uh, for, for the United Church, Global Partnerships means working with about 80 organizations around the world, Africa, um, Middle East, Asia, Latin America, uh, as well as some global networks. Um, the organizations are quite a, a, a wide variety of, of type. They include national churches, they include uh, civil society groups, uh, ecumenical organizations, and, and a wide range of, uh, of, of uh, foci. But basically, they're, they're, they're partners, organizations that share our goals as the United Church of Canada, of working in what we call justice-seeking work together. That's all great to hear about. It definitely gives some good context to the situation. Um, I want to ask you some questions, I think, uh, about Christianity and, and solidarity movements. But before we do that, could you say a little bit more about, about some of those, um, some of the big ideas you just kind of threw out there? What does it mean to be a justice-seeking movement? Mm, um, mm. What's, the, what's the church after in those contexts? Well, yeah, good, good question. And uh, for me, you know, it may seem kind of simplistic, but um, it kind of goes back to, to Jesus uh, and the person that we call, that we know of Jesus Christ. And um, the, the, um, the model of, of ministry that he showed, or at least that's recorded for us in uh, the part of the Bible that we call the Newer Testament, what his ministry uh, was all about. And, uh, you know, in the person of Jesus, um, uh, we uh, the, the person of Jesus and the life that I, I he he lived his his ministry his his uh, his engagement um, for for some of us that's a good demonstration of the divine vision for for humanity and and creation um, you know Jesus in his in his uh, his recorded ministry he sought to show compassion. He, he sought to, to teach how to live in love um, with others. And he preached a lot about justice, um, particularly for those in, to those in power 
who were maintaining a, a system of empire that, um, that oppressed and marginalized a whole lot of people. Um, so I think, at least for me, I can't speak for, for other Christians, but for me, that justice seeking is about um, trying to follow some of those, um, those examples of um, living in compassion, um, you know, walking in love and, and seeking um, a sense of wholeness or, or rightness that is, is what we, we hope the divine wants for, for all people, what we believe the divine wants for all people and, and creation. Yeah, you know, I think I really resonate with that, uh, with, with what you're saying there about Christianity. I think that's really a good way to put some of that motivating force behind it with justice. Um, I think, so in, in my experience with Christianity, which is, again, not everyone's, but I think I come from a, I come from a very sort of individualistic and uh, like evangelical background. I think that's probably where a lot of the, a lot of the big, weird spiritual baggage that I'm still dealing with comes from. <laughs> but um, I think it's really fascinating, though, to, to find Christians who... Um, you know, find the ideas of peace and justice, um, you know, doing this type of solidarity work as something that is not individualistic, but it's about reaching out to other communities. So yeah. I don't know, could you tell us how, how all of that works out? Like, um, you know, this is this is more than just, you know, thinking, <laughs> thinking uh, the right beliefs in your own individual heads, but it's about reaching out and, and connecting with other people around the world. I, I guess, how does that play into it all? Yeah, very much, very much so. You know, I think um, that, you know, at the core of, of, Human existence is a, is is relationship relationship with others, and um, you know I think at least for me uh, as a Christian, um, you know seeking to to um, to really to reflect what it means to to live and work and and um, present a, a a reality to the world of, of of what I seek to be that it is about being in relationship with others. Um, that when when we think about um, uh, how we live, it's it's in relationship with others. And for me, that the engagement in in justice seeking, peace movement, solidarity work is recognizing that together we can be much more than we can ever be, uh, either individually or even in our own communities. Um, that that seeking um, to work with others is is really the only way to toward the vision of of wholeness that separately and individually we're just that we're parts um, and um, I, I think part of part of the challenge in um, in maybe the church the Christian faith and perhaps other faiths as well is this sense of exclusivity that somehow that we have the 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 right way or the right the the, the right uh, way of of approaching the the challenges of of humanity and and creation, um, and my experience is that it's important to to uh, let that go uh, and to know that whether people of other faiths or people of goodwill. Um, there is much wisdom and um, insight and power to be found in alliances. Um, and it's often the, the hope of the vision that can bring us together, uh, even as we come from very different starting points. 
Yeah, that makes a lot of sense, Patty. And I think it's a it's a really nice way to contextualize some of the more kind of institutional work that uh, that you do and that the United Church does as as coming out of this, uh, you know, this deeper commitment to what it means to to be with other people. Um, you know, one thing that uh, I really appreciate about the United Church is that institutionally, the way that that commitment gets expressed is through these really tangible, material, concrete relationships with others. So the the philosophy has some some legs and feet, which uh, sometimes is not the case in in certain Christian circles. Um, and I'm curious, you know, maybe we could start talking a little bit about your work in in Asia. How does this um, how does that work that you do there relate to some of this philosophy that you're telling us about? And and what's that work look like for you? Uh, you know, who are you talking with? What what's uh, what is it like for you to sort of be with others in the role that you are in at uh, the United Church? As I said a little earlier, the the United Church, um, uh, while we understand ourselves as as rooted in Canada and uh, you know a, a product of of our context and history, we see ourselves as related um, across the wider world. Um, uh, other parts of the Christian family, other parts of the the human family. Um, although the United Church was created in in 1925 through this this act of union. Um, through its its uh, predecessor or constituent churches, um, it it had some history. The Methodists, the Presbyterians, and the Congregationalists—they all have, um, you know, mission history that took them um, as part of that, uh, you know, 19th century missionary movement to uh, various parts of the world. So part of our engagement today as the United Church in, in Northeast Asia, in China, Japan, Korea, the Korean Peninsula, and elsewhere, is um, a product of those long-term relationships, relationships that, uh, that started uh, in the mid, mid to late uh, 1800s as there was this kind of Western missionary movement um, that was, uh, you know, pretty missionary and, and colonial in, in its uh, impulses. Um, uh, and, and took uh, uh, folk to, to parts of the world to share what they, under, they understood as the good news. Um, the United Church and uh, its, uh, its antecedents, the Methodists and the Presbyterians and Congregationalists, had a very strong commitment to um, the social gospel. Um, uh, the, the, um, the material well-being of people as well as their spiritual health. So in places like China, uh, the Korean Peninsula, Japan as well, um, where the United Church um, really got involved was in areas like um, education, particularly for girls, uh, those who didn't have uh, much opportunity for education, health uh, uh, and, uh, and, and social well-being. Also in leadership development, um, so education, health, leadership development, uh, in ways that kind of um, distinguished um, the United Church from some of the other um, uh, missionary uh, churches that were pretty careful in maintaining um, control, both in terms of, of, uh, of, of um, witness and structure and leadership. Um, the United Church really uh, tried its best to um, to develop relationship with the people of the place. So, um, in in uh, uh, 
Korea, for example, uh, the United Church um, established what was called the, the Canadian Mission in uh, 1898 in what, in what was then uh, uh, Wonsan uh, in, in uh, what is now North Korea. Um, and that particular focus uh, remains uh, uh, something that is quite cherished by uh, Koreans that I encounter today, the focus that the Canadians gave to training and uh, building capacity among Koreans in those areas of education, health, and uh, leadership uh, development in the church. That's all really helpful context, I think, uh, that will definitely give a lot of the conversation, um, you know, some some good highlights. Um, but maybe we could pivot to talking more about the Korean Peninsula and some of the and some of your specific sure. work there. That might be sure. a, a good way to go sure. right now. Um, you know, anyone could pick up a history book and read about the history mm -hmm. of the Korean Peninsula and mm -hmm. read about the Korean War. But listen, people aren't doing that. <laughs> I think that uh, the Korean War is, at least in my experience as a person in the U.S., is something that um, that a lot of people just don't even know about. But I think it'd be really helpful if you could, um, I mean, not exhaustively perhaps, but you could tell the story about the DPRK and the ROK. I guess, how did the, how did the tensions there begin? Um, and what role are uh, are you and the United Church playing in um, um, in, in, in peace and solidarity work? In yeah, thanks. Maybe I, I, I would start out by saying that the, the Korean War cannot and should not be described as a war between North Korea and, and South Korea or, or North and South Koreans. Um, and if, if we had a map here, you know, I would point to just the, the location of, of where the Korean Peninsula is and say that the geopolitics of the region have, have, have meant that throughout much of its, what, 5,000 year history, um, that the Korean Peninsula has been a battleground, um, uh, a battleground for, for the, you know, bigger superpowers. And uh, throughout its history, the Korean people have often uh, suffered quite, quite terribly. Um, people may know that, uh, that, Korea was liberated from Japan uh, after World War II in 1945. Uh, and that liberation came uh, after some, what, 35, close to 40 years of quite brutal occupation by the Japanese. Um, so Japan lost the war, Allied Western allies won. Um, and uh, at the time of uh, the Japanese surrender, um, the uh, the Allied uh, forces in in the Korean Peninsula and uh, what was then the Soviet Union uh, was also in the, the on the peninsula and uh, uh, it, it is said that uh, uh, someone in the in the Allied uh, command took a, a pen at the 38th parallel and divided the peninsula north and south uh, at the time the Soviet Union was occupying the north. And uh, the uh, the U.S. was occupying the South. Um, some uh, few years later, I'm going to jump a little bit. Uh, the Korean War started in 1950 uh, when, ostensibly, the North Korean Communist Army, army that was supplied and, and advised by the Soviet Union, Union crossed over the 38th parallel and uh, invaded South Korea. Um, and some 17 countries, including Canada, uh, uh, fought the Northern-led forces under the flag of the UN and the, the US command. Um, 
I think, you know, as you say, a lot of people could could pick up the, the history books or look at Wikipedia, but I think it's really important to to note that the Korean War is is understood by many as an outgrowth of the of the Cold War, um, not simply because it it, it uh, was the, the the specter of communism against democracy, but it was really about who controls and who benefits uh, globally and particularly in that region of the world. Um, and uh, those in those superpowers that were involved, uh, Soviet Union, China, the U.S. under the U.N., uh, heading the U.N. Uh, command, were, were pretty clear um, that they didn't want, quote, the other side to dominate. Um, so some, some three years later, 1953, the Korean War came to what I would call a pause, um, not an end. Uh, in July 1953, uh, an armistice uh, was signed that um, that paused and did not end the war. So it's really important to stress that um, uh, an unresolved war uh, has not uh, come to a resolution in, in the Korean Peninsula. Uh, there continues to be a state of war uh, in, in that area. Um, and, uh, you know, part of the legacy of that war, uh, records vary, but uh, most would agree that approximately 5 million people were killed uh, during the Korean War, uh, at least 2.5, at least a half of those, and, and probably more, were, were civilians, um, uh, approximately a, a million Chinese uh, soldiers, uh, and then tens of thousands of uh, other combat combatants, uh, American, of course, South Korean, Canadian, and uh, 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 thousands of others uh, that were marshaled as part of the, the UN, uh, UN force. Uh, I, I, I remember someone told me once that um, in the Korean War, um, which again was not a, I, I would never characterize as a war of North Koreans uh, against South Koreans, um, more than 10% of the pre-war population, of Korea's pre-war population, was uh, was killed as a result of, of the war. And that's a higher percentage than either the, uh, the civilian uh, casualties of World War II or the Vietnam War. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, the current reality of, of the Korean Peninsula is one of, um, of unresolved war where, where people certainly in the north, but also in the south, uh, live in the reality uh, that is bound by, you know, some would call an extremely fragile armistice. Um, and that that state of war is, um, is at the root of the, of the continued uh, tensions, conflict, hostility um, in, in the peninsula. Um, and it continues to, to fuel those tensions. It continues the militarization uh, in the north, in the south, uh, among those who are allied uh, and, um, and, and carries with it major economic uh, and political costs. I would say, again, for the, the north, the south, um, and for Western countries who continue uh, in, in 
to be involved in in the military uh, tensions there. You asked how how is the United Church in, involved, and I'm and I'm getting to that too. You know, I think um, I, I tried to say earlier that the United Church has history um, in, in the Korean Peninsula. Um, formally, we we uh, our, our roots go to to the Canadian mission of the late 1890s. Um, the, the, the Korean uh, Canadian uh, relationship is is a varied and and um, and, and diverse one. Um, certainly, the United Church of Canada sees its relationships with the Korean people, those who have uh, roots in the north or those who have roots in the south, as a very um, deep and treasured one. Um, if you had to ask me why, I'd have to stop for a moment. I mean, why why is it? Um, you know whether it's 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 a it's a kind of a a connection that's that that's beyond certainly faith and and uh, a spiritual bonds, but for all kinds of reasons, um, you know, which I could I could think about. Canada too is is uh, like most other countries, I guess, also um, uh, subject to its own geopolitical uh, position as well. You know, uh, living beside a super superpower and, and the effects that it has. But nevertheless, um, Canadians and Koreans, I think, have, have a deep and, and special bond. Um, the United Church has, has deep and, and uh, treasured strong partnerships in, in the South and continues to have uh, partnerships in the North as well. Um, our, our approach is one of partnership that is to forefront and amplify the voices of partners. Uh, and without a doubt, um, the voices of our partners in these times are speaking about the importance of peace and reconciliation in the peninsula. And that means ending the war, <laughs> a peace agreement, and uh, working at the process towards reconciliation. That's all really great, Betty, and uh, I appreciate that you've summarized um, a very complicated and long history uh, in a very short amount of time, so kudos to you for that. Um, yeah, you know, I think there's so much to be said on on the Korean Peninsula in general, right? The uh, the Republic of Korea, the South, South Korean uh, part, has obviously had a long history of um, its own kind of challenges and a voice for justice there and things like Minjung theology or et cetera. Uh, and of course, um, North Korea has its own uh, challenges globally and, and otherwise internally. Um, you know, one thing that I think has helped us as Christians understand when it comes to sorting through complicated situations is that, you know, there might be Christians living in those situations who have a particular perspective as well that might not be the same as ours or it might be sort of unique or, or something else. Um, and, you know, you mentioned uh, the United Church has these partnerships on both sides of, uh, of the DMZ, the demilitarized zone, if we want to put it that way. Um, maybe you could tell us a bit what, that's relation, what that relationship is like. I think we, we can get to the, the South Korean partnerships in a moment, which is obviously very, very important. But I think a lot of people are, um, and myself included, you know, it's hard to know anything about what's going on in North Korea for, for lots of reasons. So, you know, what, what are the partnerships that the United Church has uh, on that side of the, the parallel? What are those partnerships like? And um, what do those Christians seem to be saying about uh, the peace process and their own hopes um, for their country? Yeah, um, the, the United Church has, has been part of um, a, a, a network 
of, of Christian churches that has tried to um, now for about 30 years facilitate some, some encounters between Christians from North Korea and South Korea and uh, between North Korean Christians and Christians in, in other parts of the world um, for you know, a couple of decades, couple or three, two, three decades after the, the armistice uh, in 1953, there was really next to no connection. Um, I, I think uh, with um, with with those who who had had roots and and, and continue to be in in North Korea. Um, you may know I, I and and I neglected to say that during the war, uh, part of the 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 fear and and the the conflict drove uh, much of the uh, what was then the population of the north into the south, and the the Korean uh, Christian churches now you know very strongly rooted in the south. Many of them will will talk about their their history in what is now North Korea. That uh, the north is is where um, much of the the, the cradle, uh, I guess, the the, the roots of of uh, modern day Korean Christianity. Um, are set, uh, and it was the war that uh, caused huge uh, flows of refugees, pushed those Christians and others um, during during the conflict uh, into into the south. So, um, it, those those Christians who are in the south will will talk about the the places, the communities, the churches, uh, the history uh, in in the north, although they themselves were pushed into into the south, um, and so for for some years, I think there was there was some, you know, deep deep concern and question about uh, is there a continuing uh, Christian community uh, of any of any kind in the north? Uh, what was its its situation? What was its its lot? What was its its um, its reality? Um, and it was uh, first in the, I think it was the mid, mid 1980s that there began to be some um, uh, limited channels for communication with, with the, the Christian community that, uh, that remained small uh, and fragile. In, in the north, uh, the Protestant Christian community goes by the, the, the name of the Korean Christian Federation. Um, and through the, the, the Korean Christian Federation or the KCF, there were some, um, some tentative um, initiatives that were made through the World Council of Churches, uh, a global uh, fellowship of, of uh, Christian, Protestant, Anglican, Orthodox uh, churches. And a historic meeting was held in Japan. Um, today, continuing to this, to this day, the national security law in Korea uh, prohibits um, Chris, Koreans from the South uh, to meet or communicate with with uh, Koreans in the North. Um, as I said, that that country continues to be in a state of war, and the national security uh, apparatus in the South, which you know earlier uh, uh, in the 1980s and, and 90s was was the uh, the cause of much of the human rights violations that happened in the South. Today, it continues to, to limit the connection between uh, 
North and South Koreans of any kind. So in the 80s, there was an historic meeting, uh, the first one since the Korean War that was held in Japan in a place called Tozanso, um, a YMCA retreat center. And uh, the Tozanso process for, um, for the building of connection, mutual visits, uh, uh, some interchurch relationships, some people-to-people exchanges, that, uh, that developed for the next 20 or, or 30 years to, to where we are today, um, to, to the place where, where we have, as I say, fragile and uh, limited connections with um, the small uh, Christian community that, uh, that is gathered under the, the umbrella of the Korean Christian Federation uh, in the North. Um, over those 30 years, um, I've been to, to North Korea uh, several times and, and I've also had the, the privilege of meeting North Koreans uh, elsewhere. Um, during those, those years, um, I think there has been a lot uh, learned um, we know that the Christian community in Korea exists. We know that it is a small and fragile one. Uh, we know that it seeks relationship with the, the global uh, Christian uh, family. Uh, and we know that there are differences uh, <laughs> among us. Um, some of those differences uh, relate to our understanding of the role of the state, uh, the understanding of the role of, of, of state leadership. Um, and I think we also know that um, we want to collaborate in spite of differences and not let those, those differences um, create yet another uh, obstacle. Um, you know, I think our, our hope is that we would work to a place where things like um, people-to-people visits, and um, encounters of, of various type uh, could happen. Um, those have been limited, certainly given the, the geopolitics of the last few years. Um, and just when we got to a stage where we thought there was going to be some opening in 2018, uh, 2019, and then, and then COVID in 2020 uh, happened. Um, so, you know, we, we're, we're at a place where for the United Church and others, we remain committed to, to seeking all opportunities that we can to, to connect with Christians in the North. It's really helpful uh, just to get a handle on, on some of what's happening there. I think some people who are listening might be surprised to learn that there are Christians, let alone religious people <laughs> in the DPRK. I think that might be a surprise <laughs> to some people. I think when you know people bring up those those kinds of topics about um, yeah religious people in, in the DPRK, I think a lot of the conversations t- seem to center on the narrative mm-hmm. around religious persecution. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering if you could um, help us mm-hmm. think through some of that. Um, what what might be a good way to I don't know have that conversation or think through it? Um, what what are the questions or um, experiences that you've had that might uh, help us work through yeah good good question and maybe i'll use an example that uh, not just of korea here but um the chinese history um you know china the 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 superpower big big neighbor of of korea too we uh the west has a long and complicated history uh in in china and so too does the christian church um 
and you know a lot of the 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 current reality of course there's there's roots in the, there's a legacy there that history and and, and colonial practice has has left um you know there was a time in china where the saying was uh one more christian one less chinese um and so the the christian church in china today um and, and that's not very long ago that's you know barely a century ago where where um the the understanding of of christianity meant um a, re a rejection of of uh things Chinese, culture, history, um, uh, knowledge, uh, spirituality. Um, so my experience um, in, in China, learning from Chinese partners, has been to, um, to listen hard to what it means for Chinese Christians to, um, to live out um, a spirituality that is rooted uh, in the soil of China, of their place, and and not um, constrained by the 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 uh, you know the pot in which it was transplanted or carried uh, by by Western missionaries. Um, you know, I think in Korea there's also um, that dynamic. Um, the the DPRK, the Democratic People's Republic of Korea, uh, feels um, very isolated, um, very um, threatened, um, uh, very much on its own, which is is probably a a, a, a genuine and authentic reflection of of reality. Um, it it understands itself in a continued state of war uh, against not only the South but. Uh, the, the, the Western forces, uh, particularly that uh, personified in the U.S. And so for Christians who are also intensely proud and, and patriotic, um, it is very challenging then to, to live out um, the, uh, fully that, that identity of, of being um, Christian, and Korean, I could say the same Christian and Canadian. What does that mean uh, for us? Um, so you know, I certainly, you know, people talk, have talked about it um, as a dance. <laughs> um, I think it's been um, more challenging and, 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 and uh, certainly difficult than a dance in, in most cases um, and, and continues uh, to be so. Um, you know, I think the the reality of a of a um, uh, you know a, th a, a authoritarian um, uh, system that that rules in a context of a control and um, and uh, war footing has meant that the the um, the challenge of of reflecting uh, the one's pride in what North Koreans have been able to accomplish and also speak about connections with the West of whatever kind um, are, are quite um, uh, complex and difficult. 
Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I mean, the situation is complex and difficult, I'm, I'm sure. So it makes uh, it's no surprise that Christianity has to be complex, too, uh, and, and navigate a lot of different things going on there. Um, I feel like I have a thousand other questions about that, but maybe we can get to them in the context of uh, some of the solidarity work, too. Um, you know, the there's there's been a movement for peace on the Korean Peninsula motivated by by people all over the peninsula. Um, there was some a lot of kind of strange um, steps forward and backward with the Trump administration. It remains to be seen what will happen with uh, the Biden administration, I guess. But, you know, nevertheless, there's this kind of groundswell um, of hope for for peace. And uh, you've been in, involved with that. Um, the solidarity work that you do is is really coalitional, and there's lots of coalitions surrounding uh, this peace process, especially with uh, women and, and centering uh, justice for women in particular. Um, maybe you could tell us a little bit about that. You know, uh, what's that sort of movement for peace like now, and uh, and how do these sort of coalitions of, of justice interests, maybe uh, with women in particular and feminism, tie into uh, those calls for peace. Yeah, very much so. Yeah, um, I mean, I, I, I said I spoke earlier of the, you know, the 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 deepest yearning of of the Korean people um, is is uh, uh, that I've encountered among the deepest yearnings is this yearning for for reconciliation that there might be a, a way of of moving toward uh, addressing the brokenness not only of 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 society, the separation of, of, of families, but also the brokenness of, of their country as well. Um, and, and that would be a process, not necessarily uh, an agreed upon endpoint. And uh, uh, I, I think in these last years, yes, there's been really a, a groundswell of, of, of movement and particularly Koreans um, joining in coalition in, in transnational and, and global networks. Um, one, of, uh, one of the networks that I sp I've spoken about is the, the, the Christian Church uh, Connection through the World Council of Churches, committed, as I said, to forefronting and amplifying the, the voices of partners, Korean partners who are providing the leadership uh, in their own uh, country and context about to... to uh, to address some of the the, the voices that are more uh, uh, militaristic and and uh, uh, claiming a war footing, um, the an, another key network for for us are for the United Church is the the feminist transnational global uh, campaign for peace in the peninsula that's taken on um, the the focus of Korea Peace Now. Um, it's it's a campaign that was was launched officially in in March of 2019, and uh, it's a it's a, an initiative that was uh, that's been organized by by several uh, feminist networks from across the the, the globe the the U.S. based uh, Women Cross DMZ, uh, the Nobel Peace Nobel uh, Peace Women's Peace Initiative the um, Women's International League for Peace and Freedom, and the Korean Women's Movement for Peace, which again is a, is a large coalition of, of Korean uh, women's movements that have been uh, organizing and advocating and educating about the, the urgency for peace for, for decades. Um, and I really wanna put Korean women uh, in, the, in the center of, of this uh, movement 
um, which is now um, growing, I think, as a transnational and, and global one. Um, and I think that the Korea Peace Now campaign, which is you know, a feminist-led um, and, and global one, has really centered uh, the importance of not only acting for peace, but women's voices, um, women's voices, women's uh, leadership uh, in peace. And there's, there's you know, all kinds of reasons why, why that's important, um, you know, but I would maybe boil them down to two. Um, and that is that, that we know that women uh, suffer disproportionately uh, in context, con context of conflict and war. And that's true anywhere, not just Korea. Um, and we also know there's good, good research, good data that shows us that um, peace, peace agreements are more grounded and more durable when women, uh, civil society organizations, but women's uh, voices and women's networks, particularly when they are, are included. So the, the Korea Peace Now campaign, um, you know, has said um, that the, the imperative right now is to, uh, to continue the focus on ending the war. <laughs> you know, a lot of Canadians, I, I'm not sure about Americans, but a lot of Canadians wouldn't know that the Korean War uh, didn't end uh, in 19, 1953. Um, so that, that is a, a key call of the Korea Peace Now campaign that the that the war needs to end. Um, and there are some other things as well that are um, that are forefronted by the campaign that we've been we've been picking up from partners and, and trying to support in solidarity for, for years. Um, a, a key one being the humanitarian impact of sanctions. Um, another being the the cost of uh, the ongoing militarization. Uh, of the peninsula, the cost in Korea and the cost in, in our own uh, countries of the U.S. and Canada and elsewhere. Um, and and uh, uh, maybe a fourth one would be the, the imperative of um, maximizing opportunities for dialogue rather than pressure. So, um, so I would say, you know, that United Church partners have for decades been been speaking some of those um, those um, imperatives to see it now taken up in a new way um, by transnational global uh, civil society networks I think have have really grounded the the campaign and and the solidarity thrusts in new ways um, that that across a whole number of, of horizons. Um, and, you know, just when it's kind of, you know, when, when one, one initiative kind of gets blocked, the, the creativity, the, the reach that working in coalition means, uh, the, the coalition holds means that, that other alternatives can be uh, explored. Um, so, for the United Church of Canada, uh, collaboration, coalition is the only way to move forward in, in peace solidarity. It's such a, a, a great thing to hear about the resilience of that coalition. Um, really an inspiring thing, I think, to hear, to hear how um, folks around the world are working this out. 
Um, a minute ago, though, you did mention uh, a few things about uh, economic sanctions, and I think that's something important to draw out of the conversation. It's it's hard to talk about the Korean Peninsula and the DPRK without uh, drawing some special attention to those sanctions. Um, I, I mean, like you've been saying this entire conversation, right? The the there's a ceasefire, but the war isn't over, and I think that that is maybe one way to think about sanctions. The the violence is still happening, but in in sort of a different way along the lines of economic sanctions. That make it, you know, impossible for people in the DPRK to get access to things like, you know, very basic things like medicine or nutrition or, you know, other things like that. So, I mean, from my perspective as a person in the U.S., it seems needlessly cruel <laughs> and awful. Um, and I, yeah, but like, what's I guess what's the point? I, I guess what why is the U.S. Well, What's the U.S. hoping to gain from these kinds of sanctions? Um, is there any kind of way to to push back and maybe uh, to work to end them? Yeah, I think. I mean, good good question. Um, you know, sanctions are meant to be um, uh, non-military uh, methods of of international relationships that are are to um, be diplomatic and and related means of of um, Creating behavior change, uh, you know. I think there's there's probably a much better definition uh, by the book of what of what sanctions are meant to be. But I would take issue that um, you know they they are um, that they they are without the well certainly without they are they are the cause of conflict and continue to uh, to to wreak. Um, uh, to provide the seeds for for continued conflict, um, the I think the purpose of, of sanctions, at least the the um, the 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 uh, the named purpose, is to uh, force North Korea in, into line and uh, follow a, a Western uh, prescribed set of, of of rules of international law. Uh, and to press for uh, denuclearization. Um, the, the US, the UN will, will talk about the sanctions really as focused on uh, uh, pressing for the denuclearization of, of North Korea. Um, and that isolation through sanctions, pressure would, would lead that regime to, to give up their, um, their weapons that are seen not simply as uh, defensive but offensive uh, weapons, um, and I think you know the the evidence is is there before us that decades uh, of sanctions, um, the most restrictive uh, regime of sanctions uh, that has been uh, applied by the UN, are the the set of sanctions against uh, the DPRK. Um, those those sanctions have not had the intended effect. If the intended effect was to to uh, denuclearize North Korea, that has not happened. Um, in fact, many would say it's done the opposite. It's only strengthened North Korea's resolve to be a, a nuclear power. And it's only when North Korea jumps up and down and shouts and screams and uh, tests a nuclear weapon that it gets the attention of of, of the West. Um, certainly, um, we know that the, the sanctions policies um, have impacted the most vulnerable, um, women, children, uh, the aged rural populations, uh, 
disproportionately. Um, we there's good um, data. Women uh, uh, women across DMZ and the Korea piece now have produced some some excellent, uh, uh, well documented uh, papers that have shown the the gendered impact of sanctions, the health impact of sanctions. Um, it is clear um, that those those sanctions are are having disproportionate effect on uh, those who are most vulnerable, not on, on, on the military, not on the leadership, but uh, those who are most vulnerable. Um, and, you know, being, despite being one of the most isolated, one of the most, well, the most sanctioned and, and certainly one of the most pressured countries in the world, North Korea now has more nuclear weapons than uh, it did when, when sanctions were first uh, applied. And uh, there is some certainty that that uh, North Korean uh, weapons missiles may have the the capacity to hit the uh, the North American, the U.S. mainland. Um, you know, we we in the humanitarian community, in in the faith community, and civil society organizations have said um, that um, not only are sanctions not working if the intended. Uh, uh, goal is to change behavior uh, and seek denuclearization. It has moved us, uh, the international community, uh, backwards from that goal and further uh, from that goal of, of denuclearization, not only of North Korea, but of the, of the peninsula. Uh, and it has hardened the resolve, I think, of, of North Koreans um, to, to, um, to dig in and to, um, to, to be as, as isolated and independent um, as, as possible. Um, I, I think there has been you know, a whole slew of double standards as well. Um, the UN has, has indicated that these sanctions um, are not intended to impede humanitarian actions. Um, we have well-documented um, data that shows that the sanctions do indeed uh, impede humanitarian um, uh, uh, engagement. Um, there's well-documented evidence that um, the sanctions that have been um, focused on uh, uh, the transportation sector and the global finance sector lead those sectors to really uh, resist um, and and uh, be unwilling to either support or transport <laughs> humanitarian goods. Uh, and so even uh, uh, actors like the United Church of Canada or, or other uh, faith-based organizations, uh, NGOs working in maternal child health, um, you know, agricultural support, food security, et cetera, will we'll tell you story upon story about how um, banks will refuse um, to, to offer finance, uh, financial um, uh, services because of fear of retaliation uh, by uh, Western and mostly US-based uh, financial um, uh, systems. So the North Koreans will, will see that although the UN has, has indicated humanitarian actions are exempt from sanctions, in fact, those, that's, that's dried up. 
um, the, um, the, the commitment to maintaining some sort of corridor for humanitarian actors um, that has, has turned out to be an empty commitment. Um, Dr. Key Park, a uh, well-known American surgeon, will tell you that uh, the, 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 uh, the conditions in, in North Korean hospitals are, are dire because they, they lack basic medicines and uh, equipment to maintain basic uh, response to acute medical and health uh, situations. Um, so, um, you know, the, the cost of sanctions is, is being uh, wreaked upon those who are, uh, again, most vulnerable and, and least able uh, to, to affect change. Our approach as civil society uh, networks and, and, and coalitions, and certainly the approach of South Koreans, is to uh, stress the importance of uh, engagement and dialogue at every point, rather than um, sanctioning um, a, a mix of carrot and stick, rather than a strategy that's all stick. That makes a lot of sense. And uh, it's helpful to contextualize sanctions that way. I mean, they do get defended as a, the nonviolent option, but they sort of carry on a different sort of violence or a more difficult violence to, to see. Um, as we end, I'll, I'll pose a question to you that we often post to Jim Hodgson as well, um, which is, you know, as, as there is this kind of groundswell uh, for peace and trying to uh, get people to oppose these sanctions, etc., um, what is it that we can do as people, Christians, people who care about peace or otherwise living in uh, in the imperial core, you know, in the aggressor nations on our side? What what can we do to sort of um, help show solidarity and, and build uh, that energy for, for peace in, in Korea? Yeah, I think there are some things that we can do as individuals and as communities, as, as nation states as well. You know, I think part of it is to um, seek ourselves to become uh, better informed um, and, and seek some of the, the alternate narratives which um, would use some some different images of, of what the con what the, the conflict is. Um, there's a there's a great uh, little uh, NGO in Cambodia called the Center for, for Peace for Conflict Studies. And one of the things that they did in 2020 was a series of short videos of, of North Korean life. Um, and their purpose was to normalize uh, North Korean people. So their, their first video was about love and marriage in North Korea. Um, and they talked about some of the challenges of young people, you know, finding a, a, a partner and, and uh, setting up a, a house or a home on their own. Uh, so I think that's one thing that we can do, you know, as individuals seek out, um, seek to be well informed, seek to um, to to look for what are the alternate narratives and ask some questions um, around some of the the the, the stereotypes that are used uh, again and again about uh, about the conflict and about North Korea. Um, you know, I also think too that that um, particularly in North America. There is um, a, a, a wide and, and highly uh, experienced and wise uh, Korean diaspora. Uh, the Korean diaspora has, has particular um, 
power um, to help those of us who don't understand the context. So if your neighbor, you know, next door or upstairs uh, is Korean, um, you know, op open that conversation about um, the current reality of, of Korea and, and, and its history. Um, you know, my, my, my hunch is that there, there may be quite a, a, a wide variety of, uh, of responses that one would encounter. Um, but it, it would help, I think, many of us uh, a, a more nuanced understanding. Um, you know, I think maybe the last word I would say is that, you know, as a person of faith, you know, I think the, the hope and desire um, is that, um, you know, all can live in, in a situation of, of wholeness uh, and peace. Um, and, uh, you know, Jesus was, was asked the question, who is my neighbor? Um, and uh, part of the response was that the, the neighbor was the least likely uh, person that you might think about, not the person who looks like you or who, who, who sounds like you, but the person who is perhaps the most despised. <laughs> um, how, how do we seek out um, with compassion um, those who are different uh, and seek to understand and together move toward a more just and peaceful world. Thanks, Patty. I think that's a, a great note to end on. Um, it's been great to have you on the show and uh, we appreciate you sharing a bit with us about uh, your work in Korea. We'll have to have you back soon to talk to us about China and, and elsewhere. Matt, Dean, thanks very much and all the very best to you. Thanks for listening to The Magnificast. If you like what you heard, you can support us on Patreon, patreon.com slash The Magnificast. If you support us there, you can get us all kinds of really neat things like uh, a special Patreon-only podcast or an invite to our Discord channel. Um, we even have some new Patreon-only stickers that are really neat that you, you'll probably want. I don't know. So you can give us some money. But if you can't, that's fine, too. We don't really care that much. Um, you can also just give us a nice uh, review on iTunes. Uh, rate us, review us. That always helps, too to game the big algorithmic system that we find ourselves in the middle of. Our intro music is by Amari Armstrong, and our outro music is by The Illogical Spoon, and we'll see you next week. I don't want to get up for church in the morning, church in the morning, souls alive. Heaven come to earth and there won't be no church. We'll meet down by the riverside. There we'll swim with all creation Never get tired, never bored Don't worry, someday There'll be no dam between us and our Lord Jackson, you keep your hoods up You keep your hoods up And you stay up late Jackson, you keep your hoods up well, you keep your hoods up and you stay up late. Oh, don't mind a cold night, but we might mind if you leave too soon. So come on now, it's still early. At least I would have.